<laughs> yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I have a couple other announcements. Today is the last day to sign up for Contend America at the group rate. We have two spots left. Um, we will, if there's if there's demand, if we get five more people on top of that, we'll rent another van. So if you're number three who signs up, we'll put you on a wait list. And if we get you know another group of people that wants to go, then you can still, so you still have at least one more week to sign up. But I want to encourage you, if you want to get on the group rate, today is the last day to do that. You can sign up at the welcoming table, um, and then um, we're going to pay for our group rate today. Okay. And announcement number two, where's Nick? Come on up, brother. Now, many of you guys know our brother Nick. He is awesome. He has graduated. Praise him. And, um, and in the fall, Nick is going to be going to seminary, probably at Talbot's, though it's not 100% yet, right? All right, 85%. He's probably going to be at Talbot, which is right here. And we, as a ministry, are bringing Nick on as an intern pastor starting today. I am super thankful. I love Nick. And if you guys um, have, if you guys want to get to know him better, there is such an easy way to do that. Every Saturday, Nick leads our evangelism team. They go out and evangelize every single week. And you have a wonderful opportunity to get to know Nick better and to train with him and to do active evangelism, right? It's glorious. And, um, but we're really excited to have Nick on. And um, I just want us just to pray for him and just to commission him today um, to be with us. So, Father, we thank you so much for our brother, Lord. Um, Nick, and Father, we ask that you would empower him for this next year of service here at BTM. Father, I pray that you would anoint him by your spirit, Lord God, and that he would bear great fruit by your grace. And Lord, we're so thankful for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um, and with that, uh, the last announcement, we are going to do a summer internship this summer. It's going to be from June 6th to July 21st. Now, what is this, you ask? This is going to be like an Acts 2 summer internship. What do I mean by that? I mean that we are going to meet almost every day right here from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. roughly, Tuesday through Friday, 16 hours a week, and we're going to pray that entire time. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to pray that entire time. But we are going to spend two hours a day in the prayer room. Okay, we're going to do it together. We're going to have like a summer house of prayer where we'll be doing it together. We'll be seeking the Lord together for two hours a day. That doesn't mean you have to be praying the whole time, but you can study scripture. You can read other books, but we're going to be seeking the presence of God together. And this is something that has been on my heart a lot because this is what I know about, you know, about being close to God. What happens is Say you have a really good time with the Lord. You come here to Sunday service, and maybe you encounter God, and God softens your heart, and you feel his love for you. And then Monday, you play like 10 hours of Counter-Strike. You know what happens? You don't feel God anymore, right? Like, where did God go? And I'll tell you where he went. He didn't go anywhere, but your heart kind of hardened. Does that make sense? That's what happened. Your heart kind of hardened. And so it's hard to feel God. Does that make sense? And that's why the next time you go to try and spend time with God, it feels like he's far away. And you have to spend a lot of time and a lot of energy to break through your hardness of heart to get back into a place where your heart is soft and where you can feel God and where you can hear him again. Does that make sense? Brothers and sisters, it's supposed to be that we're 
staying in the presence all the time. That's how it's supposed to be, where we don't let our hearts become hardened. I understand that's a very difficult thing to do. So this summer internship, a big part of it is to do it with you. We'll be doing it together. We'll every day, we'll seek the Lord together. We'll keep our hearts in a place of, of, of softness towards the Lord, and we'll keep our hearts tender before Him. And I, I guarantee it's going to be such an incredible blessing for you if you would like to be a part of this. If you are a worship leader, you want to grow in worship, look, it really is not that important that you become a glorious musician. That's important. I'm not saying it's totally unimportant. But the more glorious part is that you learn to love the presence of God. You do that, and the anointing on your life grows incredibly. So especially um, if you would like to grow as a, as a worshiper, I invite you to come and join us. We won't just be praying. We will also be evangelizing once a week together. We'll be going on trips together. We'll be studying some scripture together. And hopefully we'll get some opportunities to do some ministry together. So this will be kind of a, a, a serious um, internship for the summer. But if you're serious about your faith, you don't want your faith to suffer over the summer. Guess what? If you are, do not have a full-time job or a full-time class schedule over the summer, let me tell you this. If you have tons of free time, if you do not plan on filling that time well, it will be very difficult for you to maintain a high level of faith and intimacy with God. It's harder to follow God with lots of time and comfort than it is with little. Am I making sense? Right? So I want to encourage you, if that's you, you have time this summer and you want to grow in your relationship with God over the summer, I want to encourage you, go ahead and sign up. You can do that at the welcoming table or you can message me on Facebook. And by the way, can we not like wait to the very last week to sign up for things? Yes, yes. Our group, you, you know you're bad at that. You know, you're thinking, oh, maybe, 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 and then you wait till like the very last week. Don't do that. If you feel conviction from God, sign up today so that we can start to plan for it. Okay. Open up your Bibles. Ephesians, our favorite book ever. Wait a second. Waving. What's waving? We have another announcement. Yes, come. Um, Non-graduating people... We're going to meet after service in the room right here. The one, like, when you walk out to the left, just for some information. Yeah, after service. After service. Okay, after service. If you're not graduating, meet to, to help out with the grad banquet, I'm assuming. Okay. And by the way, if you don't know what dunch is, because I hear it all the time, it's, it's dinner and lunch. That's what it is. I know. It's like, I, I always imagine people who are like, what are they talking about? All right, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, just to review what we talked about last week, we talked about this incredible revelation of Paul's that Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. He's actually going to explicitly talk about that here in chapter 3. We'll get into it a little bit more today. And he talked about how we're the Lord's temple. And last week we talked about how holiness is the thing that enables us to have deep and intimate fellowship with God. So if we want to be closer to God, then we have to pursue holiness. There's no way around it. Now, that's not something that we can do completely in our own strength. We can't go, God, I want to be holy, so I'm going to pray a 1,000 hours a week, and I'm going to read my Bible the rest of the time, and I'm going to do this. You can do that. There is an aspect where you have to play it, but guess what? You can't do it by your own strength alone. You need God's grace as well to help you. And a lot of times what happens is when we talk about holiness, people come under great condemnation because they start looking at all the ways in their life that they fail. And they feel like God's not pleased with them for all of these failures. And let me just tell you, 
No, you're immature and God delights in you even when you're immature. I thank God for that all the time. I'm immature and I'm confident that he delights in me. And actually Paul's going to talk about that this week. Glorious. All right. So if you found chapter 3 of Ephesians, it starts off saying this. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming by the way that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. Now pause. What Paul is saying here is that he is a prisoner. That he was actually a prisoner when he wrote this particular letter. He was in the city of Rome. You can go to Rome today. They have a big coliseum and all sorts of cool stuff there. And that's where Paul was imprisoned. He was under house arrest. He was staying in a private residence with a guard. And he lived there for about two years under house arrest in Rome. And then guess what happened? He probably got executed. We don't know for sure exactly what happened after, but he probably got executed after that. And, um, but he was in prison when he wrote Ephesians and some of the other books. He wrote four books of the Bible while he was under house arrest at this time. And it's kind of interesting because I've been in several situations of my life where I've felt very confined. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that in your life where you've felt confined. And when I read this and I look at Paul, Paul was not allowed to go out from his house and yet he probably had two of the most fruitful years that have ever been lived on planet Earth. In fact, in Acts 28, it talks about how a bunch of Jews came to Paul's house to hear about the gospel. And he had an opportunity to preach to all of them. In fact, what it says is that during those two years, he preached the gospel boldly during that time. And, and I, it must be because lots of people came to his house to visit him there because they had heard about what was going on. And this is incredible that Paul, even under house arrest, is able to bear so much fruit for the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, I want to say this. Some of you might feel like you're really confined in your life. And there are lots of circumstances that can make us feel like that. Maybe it's because you live at home. I've been there before. Right? When I graduated from college, I went, to, I went to Berkeley. Somebody said they went to Berkeley. Come on. Yeah. I remember I came back from home after college, and I moved back in my house, and I started getting phone calls, like if I was out past 10 p.m. They started calling me. Hey, hey, Dennis, where are you? I'm like, it was so weird. I was like, I'm out with friends. <laughs> I understand. And there were things like that where I wanted to do things at home. They are like, no, you can't do that. And I had been, you know, on my own for like four years at this point, I was not used to being in a confined space that wasn't mine anymore. So, you know, at the time, I was like, Mom, I love you so much, but this is not working. And I moved out <laughs> after like a couple months. So I've been in that situation. I remember when I was in high school living at home, and I had no place to do a quiet time. And I know that, you know, that, that may not be a big deal for you. But for me, the way I do quiet times, I do them loud, Okay. I do my quiet times loud, and I remember being so self-conscious in my room at home, knowing that, like, my parents can hear me, my brother can hear me, and he's probably thinking, ooh, who does that guy think he is? He thinks he's all holy. I know, I know about his real life and all this kind of stuff. You know, and you're like, oh, I, don't, I don't feel like. You guys know what I mean? 
I've been in other confining situations. I've been in situations where, man, I felt like I should be the one leading. And I remember I went through a season of my life where I was so frustrated with leaders, with spiritual leaders in my life, because I felt like they sucked at it. Right? I was like, I, I, I was part of a, a campus fellowship when I was in college. And to be real, there was a year there where I was just mad at them. Like, I was just sitting in my chair, like, like mad. And I'd listen to these messages, and I'd be like, this is such a sorry Christianity you're teaching them. Right. Now, I'm not trying to say that they were the problem. I was the problem, okay? And the Lord eventually spoke to me, and, well, he spoke to me through one of them who confronted me about it, right? And I got convicted, and I, you know, I prayed about it, and I felt confirmed from the Lord, and I went and I repented to the whole leadership team. Of, um, of my fellowship at the time. But I've been in situations like that where I felt very confined, where I felt like, man, I, I want to I do so many more things, and I can't because of those people. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that in your life, but here we see a situation where Paul is literally imprisoned for two years. Can you imagine what Paul would have done with those two years had he not been in prison? He could have been doing a lot more than you would be doing. Right? He could be going all over the world, setting people free, healing people, getting people saved. Like, if anybody shouldn't have been confined, you would think it would have been Paul. And yet God allowed it. I think about this all the time. Jesus spent 33 years on the earth, right? If I was God and I decided I'm going to come to earth and I only have 33 years, I know this, I would do things very differently than Jesus did. Because what do we see that Jesus did? He was a carpenter for 30 years. I still don't get it, to be honest. It's weird in my time frame, but it worked out, right? He only needed three years like, to literally change the entire history of the world, which is pretty amazing. God's perspective is different from our perspective. I don't know if you feel constrained or confined in your current situation. Sometimes... We put those constraints on ourselves, right? Sometimes God is saying, step outside of your little bubble and be free. Make new friends. Try new things. Maybe try and evangelize to that person. Maybe try and have a, a friendship with that person. Maybe you should try and apply for this program. Maybe sometimes God wants us to go outside of our little circle, and we're just like, no, no, God, too scary, too scary. I like this little circle right here. I could just watch Netflix in my little circle and never grow, and never grow. Just stay right here. Sometimes we make our own prison because of our fear, okay? And we all do this to some degree, but I want to encourage you, the way you grow in the kingdom is you confront your fears. You cannot grow in the kingdom unless you confront your fears. Why? Because God will constantly be calling you to do things you're afraid to do. And when you give in to fear, what you're saying is, no, God, no. God's like, why don't you do this? And you're like, no, God. It doesn't sound like that. You're actually just saying, hmm, that makes me scared. And I don't want to think about that anymore. But what you're actually choosing to do is say no to God. And here's the thing you need to understand. A lot of times God is giving us commands in our life, not for his sake, but for your sake. A lot of times God is trying to stretch you in your life 
because he knows the potential that's inside of you. He knows the plans that he has for you. He knows that you would love those plans so much more than the small-minded plans that you have right now if you would trust him to confront your fears and to step out and do something you've never done. Just being real, we're here in Orange County. It's like a bubble up in here, right? All you do is like, you drink boba, you eat Korean food. That's it. That's all I do here. You go to an amusement park every once in a while. There is a wide world out there, brothers and sisters. You are not destined per se to stay within this five mile radius for the rest of your life. But some of you never even entertain the option of ever going anywhere else. I want to lovingly challenge you. I'm not saying that you should just do it just for doing its sake. I'm saying that maybe you should pray into it. Be like, God, if, if, I, if I could live your perfect life, your perfect vision for my life, God, what would it look like? For most of you, it probably wouldn't look like you staying in Orange County for the rest of your life. For most of you. There's a wide world out there. There's lots of things to explore and do. There's lots of different cultures. You know, I say this all the time. When I went to college, I was, go I was going, God, I want you. You're the one I want. And my friend took me to a black church. I I'm not black. Right? They can all dance, by the way. It's crazy. No joke. Even in the service, right? Nobody's like still. Like, you guys are all still. There's a couple of you bouncing around, right? But for the most part, like you go to a black church, everyone's doing the foot shuffle thing, right? And I remember I was like, I felt out of place. And then, you know, slowly I started trying. And I was like, Forrest Gump. Like I'm out of time. They're all like perfectly in time, right? And I'm like, <laughs> guess what? It was weird for me. It was hard. In fact, it was really hard to have fellowship with them because their culture was so different. We played a game one time that I've shared with some of you on private before. We played a game one time, right, where the point of the game was you were trying to make the other person laugh, right? And me and my group of friends from, from Berkeley, we were all Asians, right? And, um, you know, whenever it was one of us trying to get them to laugh, they all looked at us like, like we were doing weird Asian things, right? And, like, they didn't get it at all. No one laughed. And all of us Asians, we were laughing like crazy, right? And then, and then one of the black guys would do something, and I'd be like, what? And they're all laughing like crazy. And that, I remember, I still remember that moment because I was like, oh, my gosh. Our culture is so different, right? This is different. These people are different. And guess what? It would have been much more natural for me in a lot of ways to go to a Korean church because I grew up in a Korean church. But I felt like the Lord was putting it on my heart to stay because the anointing in that place, the presence of God and all this stuff was really incredible. And I felt like because I wanted God, I was going to stay in that place, even though it was hard. And guess what? I had to adapt. I tried to play basketball with them with a couple times. That was a miserable failure. <laughs> right? I thought I was pretty decent at basketball. Believe it or not, when I was in college, I didn't have all this and this right here. I used to play basketball like three times a week when I was a senior in college. I thought I was pretty solid, right? They were dunking on me all day, man. It's not fair, dude. It's not fair. But guess what? I still went out and played with them. Why? Because 
I wanted to be part of that culture. I wanted to grow. I wanted to stretch myself. I wanted to adapt. I wanted to be able to face my fears and grow in the ways that God had called me to do. Am I making sense? One of our struggles, for those of us who are Asian, sometimes we can feel like it's tough to get outside of our Asian little bubble. I want to lovingly encourage you, try sometime. Try sometime. I know most of you don't go to all Asian schools. None of you go to all Asian schools. You guys got other people there? Try sometimes to, to integrate. Don't be afraid if the Lord calls you into a culture that might be different from yours. Why? Because it will stretch you. You know what it forced me to do? It forced me to grow a lot. I had to all of a sudden deal with all the cultural differences. I had to have weird reconciliations that I would not normally have to have. I've shared this about this before. I had a white friend that used to confront me over every little thing. And I'd be like, what's your problem? Because in Asian culture, we don't do that, right? Somebody says something's kind of jacked up, you go, whatever, whatever, right? And you, and you, you like deal with it yourself, Right? You try really hard to deal with it yourself, right? And then you, and then, and then, but, that, but we don't confront each other in Asian culture, right? And so this white friend, man, he kept, he kept bringing up little things. Hey, Dennis, you know, the way you said that the other day, I just felt like, like, are you okay? Are we okay? I'd be like, now we're not okay. <laughs> right? It used to, it, I, like, it started getting on my nerves. And, and I prayed about it, and, and I was like, God, it, it's hard to be this guy's friend, just being real, God. And I felt like the Lord corrected me, and he said, but he's doing it right. And I was like, Ugh. And I realized that what he was doing was actually much wiser. He was confronting me on little things so that they didn't become big things, right? And that not every confrontation had to be a big deal. It could be a little deal. And I learned that that's actually really healthy to have little confrontations, not because you can't stand the other person, but because you want perfect unity with the other person. Am I making sense? Brothers and sisters, sometimes God calls us to step out of our confines. And I want to lovingly challenge you when God puts it on your heart, face your fears. You have to overcome fear to grow in your spiritual walk. You got to do it. And guess what? God will give you grace. The greatest antidote to fear is going through the thing that you fear and realizing it's not that bad. It's amazing. That's why experience works. Because you go through a lot of the things that you were afraid to happen. You have that experience where your boyfriend, girlfriend dumps you and you're like, no, I was always afraid this would happen. And guess what? You live. God heals your heart, right? And you get through and you recognize, you know what? It's okay. I can take those types of risks. I can, I can do this. God's with me. Amen? But sometimes it's God who's holding you in your confinement. Sometimes it's God who's saying, no, I don't want you to do that. Sometimes it's God who's saying, I want you to honor your parents who are telling you something. Sometimes it's God who's saying, I want you to honor your pastor who's telling you to do something. Sometimes it's God who's putting the fence around you and you feel like, God, you're holding me back. You're keeping me from happiness. You're keeping me from whatever it might be. I want to lovingly tell you this. God sets up boundaries in your life because you don't know how much you need them sometimes. I'll say this. If I had had my way when I was in that fellowship and say that I became the boss of the fellowship all of a sudden, right? And I get to tell everyone what to do. I would have killed that thing so fast. 
It would have gone from like 100 to like 20 people, right, like day. Why? Because we don't realize that a lot of times God shapes our character in places of confinement. When God has great calling on your life, the issue is usually not your lack of gifts. That's not, what, that's not what's keeping you from your calling. The issue is your character. God has to form your character, and he does that through putting you through situations that you otherwise would not choose to be in. I don't want to be in a situation that forms my character. Why? What does scripture say? It says, brothers, this is why we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our trials because our trials produce perseverance. And our perseverance produces character. Guess what? You can't get character unless you go through the trial. And sometimes God has to be like, don't leave because I'm taking you through a necessary trial. You think David wanted to be out in the wilderness getting hunted by Saul for like a decade? I got to think he was like, God, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this crazy person chasing me. You told me that I would be king. You promised me all of these great things, and yet here I am, and I'm running for my life for like half of it. Why? To form the character that was necessary to be able to handle the authority that God wanted to give him. Brothers and sisters, you might feel constrained in your current place, but I want to encourage you. If it's God who's doing the constraining, then embrace it. Embrace it. Embrace it. Embrace it. Say, God, if this is where you have me, if you have me serving this person, then I'm going to do it with all my heart. I'm going to love them. I'm going to honor them. I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn what that looks like. The way of the kingdom is completely different than the way of the world. We haven't gotten there yet, but in a couple chapters, we're going to read, slaves, obey your masters. And in our culture, that's like, what? How evil that the Bible would say this. Right? But see, the way God's kingdom works is very different from ours. Understand that that wasn't saying that slavery was a good thing. It wasn't trying to say that we should have lots of slaves and everyone should be slaves. Paul says, if you can get your freedom, then do it. But what he says ultimately is that it doesn't matter if you're slave or if you're free. He says a slave is God's free man, and a free man is God's slave. What's his point? His point is that God can use you even if you're a slave. And it's not this age that you get to enjoy all the freedom and the blessings. No, all of us are under constraints in this age. It's the age to come where we enjoy all the wonderful fruits for eternity. But in this age, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will have problems. You will have people who sometimes abuse you and oppress you. And God says, don't hit them back harder. He says, turn the other cheek, forgive, become the servant of all. That sounds pretty demeaning, God. You don't know what it's like, but actually, I do, he says. I know exactly what it's like. Because Jesus himself, the one who should never be a servant of anyone, came to be the servant of everyone. And he suffered great injustice and oppression to show us the way to true freedom, that you can be perfectly free if your heart is changed to be like God's heart, no matter your situation. And God's far more concerned with your character and your heart than he, than he is with making your environment perfectly suited to your whims. Am I making sense? Wow, that was a lot on verse 1 and 2. Verse 3, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. 
As you read what I have written, you will, un- excuse me, as you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Highlight. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. This is the great plan, guys. Paul is making a big deal about this, and we talked about this before, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But to us, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah, we know. Jew and Gentiles in Christ, anyone who believes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in Paul's day, this was revolutionary. Right? In Paul's day, the whole point of being a Jew was that you weren't a Gentile. Right? The whole point of being a Jew is that this is the one people that belonged to Yahweh. It was going to have his salvation in their lives. The way you become saved, from our perspective, is you become a Jew. It didn't make sense to the Jews then that, wait a second, we're co-heirs with these Gentiles, but these Gentiles are uncircumcised heathens. And God's like, no, but you didn't understand the plan that I had from the very beginning. That all along I had a plan to send my chosen anointed one that whosoever should believe in him would be grafted into this body of my people. And would share all the same promises. Again, to us, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal because ain't none of y'all Jewish. But in Paul's day, this was a big deal. Verse 7. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Let's go on. Verse 10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Time out. So here, let me summarize Paul. He's saying, guys, I have been chosen as the bearer of glorious news. The glorious news is that you have been chosen by God from the foundations of the world. He chose you. Now, you don't know who he is, but he sent me to tell you about him. And if you believe in his anointed one, then you can be part of his family and share in all of these glorious blessings. Now, why did God do this? To impress all the heavenly powers. And we're like, huh? That doesn't make sense. Like, what does that mean right there? That seems weird. But Paul is reprising a theme that we talked about earlier here, right? Just to do a mini review, because we we talked about this a couple weeks ago. But in Paul's, in the ancient world, everyone assumed there was an entire unseen realm filled with various spiritual beings. In the Roman world, they understood that there was a pantheon of gods and goddesses, and there were all sorts of spirits that you could impress upon to do different things. So especially amongst the lower classes, what they would do is they would buy charms that would protect against certain spirits. And sometimes they would pay for spells and things like that to actively curse other people. Why? They, they would believe that a spirit would hear the curse and would go out and, uh, and, and, and affect another person. And guess what? 
even in the Jewish world, there was largely the same type of understanding. And guess what? That's the understanding that was passed to us through the scriptures that guess what? We don't live in just a material world, but there's an entire spiritual unseen realm that in many ways is very important and that in our culture, we don't tend to think about. Our culture looks at that now and we're like, that's all garbage. And yet the Bible is very clear about it, that this realm absolutely exists. And that part of God's motivation, his whole desire for setting forth this plan was to impress them. That seems weird, but it's true. God is doing things not just with you in mind. He's doing things with all the unseen world in mind. And this is important for us. Brothers and sisters, you must grow in an awareness of the unseen realm. I've shared this before. I love this quote by Mike Bickle. That's why I share it. Someone said, dude, you see a demon behind every bush. He goes, no, you got me all wrong. I see two demons behind every bush, right? I think there's a lot of wisdom there. I'm not saying that everything is a demon, right? I'm in a bad mood. I'm getting attacked, right? I'm not saying you have to become hyper-spiritualized in that sense. But it is to recognize that you live in the midst of a spiritual war, and you must engage in it. You must engage in it. Not everything you feel is from you. Not every thought you think is from you. What's my point? My point is, do you understand that the Spirit of God is almost certainly talking to you all the time? And you think it's just your own thoughts. Oh, I just feel like worshiping today. Lucky me. No. No. No, no, no. Nobody just feels like worshiping God, okay, unless God himself is drawing them. Am I making sense? And from that perspective, what do you do? God, thank you. You're drawing me today, right? You want me today. You're telling me that you want me. From that perspective, guess what? It's much easier to sense the Lord. When we do our prophetic training, we train you to understand that when you ask God to speak to your imagination, to your mind, he often will. It doesn't mean that every thought you think is God, but what it means is that you must start practicing discernment about the thoughts that you think. Sometimes the thoughts that you think are not God. Sometimes they're other spirits putting those thoughts in your mind. And you think it's you. And you're like, bad, Dennis. Bad. Bad. Why did I think that? And you fall into the trap of heaping more condemnation on yourself constantly. I'm a bad person on the inside, right? I'm evil and I, everything is evil in me. No, no, no. You do have a sinful nature, but not everything that you think. You understand you're part of a spiritual war. You're in a spiritual war. And the quicker you learn to discern demonic influence from the outside, the quicker you learn to deal with it. How do you deal with it? You actively engage in spiritual warfare. I reject that thought right now in Jesus' name. I rebuke every spirit of lust. Right? I rebuke all spirits of anxiety. I rebuke it right now in Jesus' name. And then you start to declare the truth. Now, this is getting a little deeper into spiritual warfare, but what we realize is when you fall into sin, there's a way in which it creates an open door of access to the enemy in your life. When you willfully commit sin, what you're doing is you're saying, come on, demons, influence me. Torment me, demons. 
And what you want to do is you want to close those doors. That's what repentance is all about. I say, God, I repent for committing this sin, and now I rebuke every spirit that would try to exploit that open door in my life. If there are certain feelings that you struggle with all the time, you know they're not good feelings, can I suggest to you there's probably a spirit that's behind that influence in your life. This is why we have to go through things that we call inner healing and deliverance. This is where we clean out our spirits. We deal with the unforgivenesses of our past, our past wounds that create open doors for negative spirits to come and influence our life. Whenever you struggle with strongholds of anxiety, of despair, hopelessness, depression, all these types of things, understand those are not from God. That's not from God. And you know what you need to do? You need to talk about it. And that's really hard for people to do. Why? Because the enemy purposefully tries to make you feel ashamed of all the ways that he's oppressing you. Brothers and sisters, don't give in to that shame. Don't give in to that shame. Look, for me, when I first came to this church, I I tried to set up an accountability group with a bunch of guys, right? And originally, I remember feeling this really weird pressure that I hadn't felt before. And it was like, but Dennis, you're a pastor. You can't just tell them the stuff that you struggle with. And I was like, why not? <laughs> that, was, that was the second thought. Why, 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 why can't I do that? I didn't realize it initially, but I already started to deal with a cultural, with a cultural spirit thing, right? And I had to realize, no, that's, that voice is not from the Lord. I reject that lie. And the truth is, I'm just a pastor. And I can be open and honest and real about my own struggles. And I need to be. Right? I want to lovingly tell you, you can do the same thing, and you should. It's actually really freeing, right? It's really freeing when you just are able to just be, this is who I really am. These are the things I really struggle with. Now, do you love me? And the answer should be yes, okay? The answer should be yes. I'm not saying that you should open up to everyone about everything in your life. No, open up to close friends that you trust, and I hope to God you have friends in your life that you trust enough to be able to be real with them that you know will love you. And if you don't, fight for it. <laughs> fight for it. I don't know everyone's circumstance exactly, but I want to say, look, this is what the church is. What the church is, we're a family, and we support one another. Right? We love one another. We give each other mercy. We forgive one another. This is what the church is. And if you don't have people in your life that you feel safe with being open with, I want to lovingly encourage you, Fight for it. Fight for it. Take that really hard step to go and be like, hey, will you please meet with me regularly? And can I open up to you regularly about, about my struggles? And, and you could do the same. And guess what? You, if you get that invitation, you should say yes if you don't have that. If you don't have that, guess what? That other person is helping to lead you in your life to God, into godliness. That should be you saying that if you don't have that. Because we all need godly accountability like that. And guess what it does? 
it helps bring freedom to us. Why? Because we're able to minister to other people the love and the grace of God. Guess what you can't do? You can't minister the love and the grace of God to yourself in areas in which you have strongholds in your heart. You need other people. Guess what? People tell me all the time the things that they struggle with. Right? I'm a pastor. They tell me I've heard lots of things. Right? I can tell you this. Every time they feel more ashamed about it than I feel in hearing it. Because the nature of it is that because it's a spiritual struggle in their hearts, the enemy's heaping accusation on them. I don't have that same accusation for that sin. So when they confess it to me, I'm like, that's a grace to you. <laughs> you know, God loves you. And they're like, are you sure? <laughs> but it's so, it's so dirty. I'm like, no, God loves you. He loves you. And this is the revelation that Paul is actually talking about here in verse 14. He says this, when I think of this, of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand or to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Brothers and sisters, this is Paul's prayer. He prays that they would have strength in their inner man. That they would, what was that? That's Christ living inside of us, right? Being strong inside of us. The desires of God are the things that are driving our life. Guess what? All of us are going to have godly desires in us if we're in Christ, and we're going to have old desires from our sinful nature. There's the flesh and the spirit warring within us, and what Paul is praying is that your spirit man would be strengthened, that the godly desires inside of you would be strengthened and would lead you in your life. And how does he say that this is to come about? And that you would be rooted and grounded in this amazing revelation of how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What's he saying? It's not enough to just intellectually know that God loves you, Jesus loves you. No, you have to have an experiential sense of his love in your heart. There's got to be a sense where you feel it and it's reality inside of you. Where you go, I know that he delights in me. I feel his delight over my life. And Paul is saying, all Christians should have this. All believers should have this surpassing revelation that God delights in them just as they are with all of the weaknesses and problems and failures that he delights in us. Brothers and sisters, this is my prayer for us as a community also. I pray that you would know his love. Why? Because you can't hear his correction unless you understand his love. When you don't understand God's love and you get correction from him, you think it's rejection. You think he's saying, fix this or you ain't getting any love from me. That's not how it works. That's the voice of shame. Shame says, you have to become perfect before I'll love you. You've got to fix this issue before I'll give you this affection. That's not the voice of God. 
The voice of God is come just as you are. With all your brokenness, all your problems, everything. Come to me because I can delight in you just as you are. I made a way by the blood of my son. I paid the price so that you could come just as you are. And we're invited to draw near. And when we draw near, we behold him. This is a spiritual beholding. I'm not saying you literally see God, but your spirit can perceive God for who he is as you draw your heart near to him and as you behold him, you become like him. This is the kingdom. This is how it works. I can't give you a thousand rules. I have to give you the command that you would love him, that you would seek to love him with all of your hearts, and that you would draw your heart near to God. And as you do, what he does is he speaks to you. He convicts your hearts of various things. Why? Because he does it in a context of love and mercy. Am I making sense? This is Paul's prayer for his church. And I tell you this, brothers and sisters, many of us come from backgrounds that really struggle with shame. This is, this is the, the stronghold of our culture, right? Is a shame-based culture. I want to encourage you. If you know that you struggle with this, take this season to go, God, I'm praying in this season that you would take me deeper into a revelation of your love than ever before. I want to be able to feel your love all the time. Every time I come to you to feel like you want me to come. You want me to come. Some of us struggle with that so much, we never feel like God actually wants us to draw near. We feel like he's tolerating us. Like he's like, he's kind of disappointed with us in our lives. And he's like, well, fine, if you really need something, you can come. That's not how God is. No, God paid the highest price in the entire universe because he loves you. Scripture says, this is love, not that you love God first, but while you were still a sinner, he loved you and he sent his son. You don't ever have to be afraid to draw near to the Lord. But what you do have to do is you have to trust him. That's the battle. Do I choose to trust in his love? Do I choose to trust that maybe God isn't like my dad or my mom or my uncle or that mean person who said whatever to me, right? Can I choose to trust that maybe God is different from the voice of shame and rejection that I've met with before in my life? Is he loving enough to delight and cherish me even with all of my problems, my strongholds, my issues, my sins? Can he love me even though I have all of this? And let me just declare this to you prophetically. The answer is yes. He loves you just the way you are with all of your problems. He still loves you so much. You do not understand this about God. He is love. He can't help but love you. It's his nature. He exists in love. He can't turn it off. He can't stop it. He feels love. And brothers and sisters, he loves you. And growing in that revelation is what strengthens our inner man and enables us to become like him. Am I making sense? Worship team, can you come up?